This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. Of course, we're going to talk more about the Colorado Avalanche's surprising game one loss to the Seattle Kraken. 3-2-1 down at Ball Arena. Joining us now, we're delighted to have a particular guest. You haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. Uh, host of the Hockey Show, Saturdays at noon right here on Mile High Sports. And, and a man that's been uh, around this league for a while with the with Denver Post, with the Athletic, uh, with the Avalanche for a while. Now, a correspondent for NHL.com. And we're obviously, as I mentioned, very happy to have him here as a colleague at My Life Sports or the host of the Hockey Show on Saturdays. You can find him on Twitter at rbolding. That's B-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. Ryan Bolding joins us. Uh, thanks for for stopping by. I appreciate it, especially uh, peek behind the curtain on relative short notice. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate it. This this was not the performance the Avs wanted, and Sandy and I have kind of gone over it. And I'm not entirely writing it off to the fact that you brought a lot of new guys back and they just didn't look in sync and discombobulated, but certainly that was part of it. When when you look at this loss, we know it's just one. We know the series isn't over. But did you see anything that was particularly worrisome for future games in this series? Yeah, for me personally, I feel like injuries are the one thing you want to take a look at with this team, and you want to keep an eye on how our players healing when they return from injury and how healthy players are. We know Kale McCarr isn't 100%. He's said, you know, his stride isn't where he wants it to be. Um, I think it's reasonably safe to assume it's a lower body thigh groin injury potentially for him. And so you want to see like, how are these guys going to handle the minutes that they, they want to play and will probably be utilized in and how is Seattle going to try and impact that? And you saw a very heavy physical game out of the Kraken. And I think that was by design. You want to wear these guys out. You want to, you know, make the bumps and bruises worse and hurt more and see how the team responds and if they can respond. So that's one of the things that I saw a little bit last, last night that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. The other thing that jumped out uh, to me was that all three Kraken goals were scored by middle six forwards. And when you looked at the Avalanche bottom nine, you saw O'Connor, Nieto, Morgan, and Myers all under 10 minutes of ice time, five on five. Eller only played 12-11. Newhook only played 11-20. And with the Kraken, all but three forwards played 15 to 21 minutes in game one. No question that depth, beat star power last night how can the avalanche turn that around so that their depth players are more effective short of perhaps breaking up mckinnon and Rantman? yeah i love that you pay attention to that sandy that's great we've been talking about the the depth kind of mismatch where Seattle is very strong on their depth. They've got contributions from guys up and down the lineup and the Avalanche haven't had a good job of sustaining that from their bottom six guys, their depth guys. I know you, in theory, you don't want to break, break up McKinnon and Ranton, uh, but I think it's probably going to happen. Jared Bednar said today he wasn't super thrilled with uh, his lines and kind of how they performed in that regard uh, in regarding Seattle's, you know, bottom six, their middle lineup. Yeah. Um, so I think in a perfect world, you need 
to split up McKinnon and Rantanen just to create two more lethal threats on opposing lines that, you know, other teams have to defend separately as opposed to together. Now, it's unfortunate that it took both of those players to combine to get the one goal that the team had last night. So you worry about that a little bit. But Evan Rodriguez played a very solid game. Arturi Lekkinen has proven himself to be more than capable on that top line. And we've seen JT Comfer, Miko Rantanen, and Valerian Nichushkin have success together on that second pairing, too. So splitting them up. I mean, yes, it does create maybe an imbalance in the one overwhelming line, but it helps spread that out. And then you're looking for guys like Andrew Cogliano or maybe Darren Helm to come back. You know, Helm hasn't been super effective and he hasn't lasted a long time when he's returned to the lineup, but their energy, their ability to disrupt plays, their ability to bring the physicality seems to mesh pretty well. And then you do want to see that Lars Eller third line get going and have an impact and be responsible defensively. That's what he was brought in here to do. And that's what they go- they're going to need him to do moving forward. The question is whether or not they can do that against the Seattle team. In the Vegas series a couple of years ago, Jared Bednar made the decision to split up those lines uh, as well and jumbled them. And it turned out that it really didn't work. They kind of made the team look a little panicked, discombobulated, and they ended up losing that series. What would make this different in splitting up what has been essentially by far not only your best line, but really the engine that makes the whole offense go? Yeah, I think the the one thing that you can point to to say this isn't a terrible idea is the fact that they have played a lot of this season apart. And, yeah. and in particular, Mika Rantanen has had massive success with Nate in the lineup and without Nate in the yes, lineup. Yes, very so true. See I mean, how he can kind people of forget that stuff. first half of the year, Rantanen carried the team, not McKinnon, offensively. Yeah, if I had a vote, which I don't because I, you know, I'm I'm part of the empire here with being with NHL.com, I probably would have made Ranton in my heart vote for this team over McKinnon. I think what McKinnon did in the second half of the year was incredible. Yes, you know, but they they are where they are, and Miko is a huge part of that. So I don't see that as being a huge issue here in the postseason. And the other thing is, the majority of this lineup knows what it takes to go deep. The majority of this lineup has dealt with this adversity this year, but has also seen what they can do when they're all steamrolling the competition like they did last season. So there's time for them to adjust, adapt, get up to the, the speed they want, the execution they want, the attention to detail that Jared Bednar is looking for. So it's, I asked, you know, Alex Newhook or uh, Matt Nieto today, actually, um, you know, I know it's not time to panic here, but is this kind of a wake-up call for, for the team? And he said, there's no panic here. Everybody knows what they need to do. They just need to do it better than they did in game one. The goaltending. Um, Georgiev's first playoff start last night. Uh, I thought uh, he played fine, uh, particularly in relation to the skaters. Georgiev versus Grubauer. We know enough about Grubauer from his time here to know that he is streaky. He is capable of playing on any given night the way he did last night. But he does cool off, and his stats over the last two years show that he's let in goals on more than one for every 10 shots. His save percentage has been well below 900 for the last couple of years. I thought it was interesting after the game last night when Nathan McKinnon was asked what he saw out of Grubauer, 
and his reply was nothing. Um, does McKinnon uh, know something about Grubauer? Do you think that would lead him to make that statement? And are we right in just supposing that it's unlikely that he can play that way for three more games in a best-of-seven series. I think you're right. He, he has been a streaky goalie. We've seen what he did in the postseason uh, where the, the Avalanche lost in the second round, and it seemed like he was kind of solved, like he was a guy that was figured out. Um, and I think that once there was kind of a, a crack in the armor for him, because he had a real unbelievable stretch up until that point, his confidence maybe, you know, faltered a little bit, and that was kind of the end of it for him and, and that confidence. So we know that that can happen here, um, and you're hoping that the Avalanche, if you're an Avalanche fan, can find a way to do that. I think part of McKinnon's statement isn't necessarily that Grubauer did or did not show them anything, but also that the the Kraken did a really good job of blocking shots, of limiting chances. You know, the Avalanche had some self-inflicted wounds where maybe they overpassed or had, you know, missed connections on passes that probably would have been connections, you know, let's say during the last eight, nine games of the regular season. Um, they had some passes where the puck came out of the zone on their own, you know, uncontested, unforced errors types of things. So I think in, in some capacity, Grubauer showing them nothing isn't necessarily him eating up all of the net as as much as it is, you know, they didn't get a good chance to even test him. Now, obviously, he was tested, um, and I think he had a very good performance, but I think that kind of plays into it as well. We're talking with Ryan Boulding, of course, host of the Hockey Show right here on Mile High Sports and from NHL.com. And uh, let's, let's go back to Georgiev there. This was his first ever playoff start. And it, it didn't go the way he wanted. I don't actually think he played poorly. I think he was in a, put in a bad spot. At the same time, uh, we don't know how Georgiev will react to a playoff loss because he's never had one. So uh, when you look at a, at a young, a comparatively young goaltender and an inexperienced goaltender in the playoffs, how impactful can these wins and losses be on confidence? And is there any reason to believe that there'll be any sort of a hangover for Georgiev in game two? I don't think that we're likely to see that from him. You know, he's very quick to credit his team for successes. And I imagine that there's a degree of him wanting to take ownership over failures or losses. Um, but I don't think the team is really willing to let him do that. We all know it's a team sport. And if, if anybody on the team was on their game, I think it was him. Um, so I think you'll see a bounce back from him. He has had a down stretch or two over the course of this regular season. Yes. He's played more games than he ever has in his career. He's won more games than he ever had in, in his career uh, in a single season. He was tied for the league lead in wins. He's great, got great stats. Um, and he's generally a, just a calm, even keeled guy. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't get too up. You might see him smile here or there when you're talking to him, but he's not super animated either direction. Um, so I think his ability to kind of reset, let it go, stay focused on, you know, micro goals and larger goals, win the game, win the series, but also stop this puck, win that period, um, that kind of thing really lends itself to seeing a bounce back game from him. Do you think the avalanche in any sense whatsoever, even though they struggled to beat this team, in fact, didn't beat them at all in three games in regulation this year, do you think the Avalanche 
underestimated the Seattle Kraken in game one. I do think there might be a propensity for this team to become overly confident, you know, based on what they've done recently. And it's not talking about the Stanley Cup last year, but, you know, going on these big runs and having a lot of confidence. Um, sometimes it was against, you know, lesser opponents. Sometimes it wasn't. It was against good teams. But we saw some teams come in to Denver this year in particular and kind of smack this team in the mouth. So, it's definitely possible that they, you know, overlooked Seattle. But I think given the regular season record, the way Seattle played them, uh, I, I don't think that's super likely from this team. You know, their team also, and I've noticed this as a larger trend in the NHL, most guys don't like to talk about the other team. Maybe they'll fawn over a player or what the team's been able to accomplish. But it's really usually about what kind of game they bring. You know, did they bring their A game and create the opportunities they needed to to win or not? And while Jared Bednar was quick to say today, yes, obviously Seattle is doing things that can affect our execution and our our focus level, you know, on the, the minute things. Um, I think that a lot of what we saw from the Avalanche in game one was just self-inflicted. But these all the teams in the West you know, the West was wide open and they weren't separated by a lot of points. So there's just a handful of wins between, you know, different positions in this postseason. And I think that makes the competition really tough. You saw in the West last night, every road team won. Every yeah. underseed won the game. For the first time in 20 years. Yeah. First time in 20 years. Of, yeah. First time in 20 years. Yeah. Eight matchups that we saw. Yeah. I mean, the, the road team won. Yeah. So it's, you know, it brings into questions, maybe home ice advantage, but I also think it just speaks to the parity um, and some of the, the preparation and the nerves that maybe teams are feeling entering game one. So last one for you here, Ryan, thank you for, for the time coming into game two how, for the, for the abs to sort of compartmentalize this, right. And, and you, you don't worry about it. You even it out, you win your game at home and yeah, it's a best of five series and, and, uh, you won't have a whole ice advantage anymore. That really hasn't mattered to the abs. But is there a challenge for this team in compartmentalizing and just saying, let's just get this game and worry about the rest of the series later? Or has the experience that most of this squad has had when it stayed in the Cup last year left them very well prepared for that? I think they're well prepared for that. But at the same time, you know, we saw during points of the, the regular season where this team was just unable to get up for regular season contests, whether it was in, you know, kind of one-off scenarios or prolonged stretches. We heard from the guys about kind of having that, that hard time to flip the switch where these games aren't as important. Yes. What you do in the regular season obviously affects how you're seated in the postseason, but those games don't have the same like live or die importance of winning the Stanley cup at that point in time. So maybe there's a point where this team rests on their laurels a little bit. They're feeling good. They went seven on one day in the regular season. They sleep on their opponent to a degree, come in, get slapped around a little bit, lose game one. Now it's real to them. You know, the stakes are much, much higher. You're in a hole, but the core of this team is still the same as what we saw last season. And, and that team was incredibly impressive to me, having been around this organization for at least a decade. Um, you know, that was kind of the most calm and most confident I had ever seen them. And they still have those guys, the McKinnons, Rantanans, Gabe Landeskog still around the team. You've got Eric and Jack Johnson, Andrew Cogliano, and younger guys, Bowen Byram, 
Devontae's, Kale McCarr's, these guys all know what needs to be done, but it's all about kind of pulling on that rope together. And I think we've seen it stretches this year where the, the depth guys kind of just look at the McKinnon and Rantons, like, let's go, let them go win it for us, you know, get them the puck, let them go win. That's not the case in the postseason. You need everybody contributing and playing at their best. And so that's what the real challenge is here, I think, for the team is to get everybody doing that. That is the voice of Ryan Bolding. Of course, you can check his work out at NHL.com and listen to him on the hockey show right here on Mile High Sports on noon on Saturdays. Follow him on Twitter at rbolding. That's B-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. Uh, Ryan, terrific to talk to you. Thanks so much for, for the insight. We're looking forward to the rest of this series, and hopefully it's a long one. Thanks for having me, guys. This is great. Thank you so much. Ryan Bolding joining us. When I say long one, I mean long playoff run, not long series. Don't want that. Although we know it's going at least five. Well, it's going at least five. And <laughs> if the ads I intend to win. suspect uh, it, it will go a little further than that. Um, uh, I, I must confess, I, I was a little skeptical about the idea that they were getting a break in drawing Seattle. They're only two points different than Minnesota. See, Seattle had 100 points this year. Minnesota also won uh, you know, Minnesota won, but maybe by means that were uh, a little more questionable. Uh, I, I think the injury to Pavelski had a major impact. There was no yeah. such event in the game last night Thank between Seattle and the Avalanche. Although, I will say this, Seattle, and it's been pointed out on the program, Seattle was quite a bit more physically engaged than I had expected. I expected them to show considerable spunk and uh, play intelligently. Uh, I said yesterday, Dave Haxtell is an excellent coach. He was at North Dakota. He was at Philadelphia. And he is that now with a second-year team in the Seattle Kraken who really have bounced back this year from a poor year last year. But uh, it, it, they, they were... They were tougher and more the initiator last night than I imagined they would be. Sometimes the old splash of cold water to the face is exactly what you need to wake up, and maybe that's exactly what the Avalanche got in Game 1. We'll find out. If you're frustrated about that and you want to vent, of course, our number is 303-831-1340, but if you really want something to vent about, uh, we're going to check in with the Rockies in a minute. Yikes. Next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Want to feel better about that Avs loss? At least it's not the Rockies. At least you're not the Rockies. Uh, the boys in purple are about to lose their eighth consecutive game. I is that quite, where it is now? I feel quite confident saying that since they're down 12-2 to two in the bottom of the eighth to the Pittsburgh Pirates, who will then sweep them. And it, let's just say it holds up at 12-2, to 2, Sandy. Pittsburgh, in its three games against the Rockies, in their sweep, will have scored 31 runs. Uh, yikes. Pittsburgh. Not, not the Yankees or Pittsburgh. No, not the Brewers. Uh, yeah. Not the Braves, not the Mets. Yeah. No, these, these are the Pittsburgh Pirates. 
who I think have a nice up-and-coming young team. Uh, I, I saw him against Boston uh, a few days ago, maybe a few weeks ago now. Charlie Hayes' uh, son, Key Brian Hayes, uh, yeah, over at third, yeah. playing well. Andrew, I, Andrew McCutcheon today, two for five yeah. with a couple of yeah, rookies, I a mean, they run. have some players. And Turn I, back the clock. They're not Connor bad. Connor Joe, three for five right, today. Right, former Rocky. And uh, listen, they're, they're, they're okay, but your point is well taken. 31 runs. In three games. Given up in three games. Now, my theory. It'll be at least that. <laughs> as to why the Rockies have not yet lost 100 games in a season is that they have usually been able to get off to, if not great starts, then decent starts. Not those disastrous if, ones. If, if you don't have horrible Aprils and or Mays, in other words, if you don't have 35 to 40 losses by Memorial Day, you're not going to lose 100 games. You're just not. But losing as they are losing now, and remember, this will put them at 5-14, and 14, but they won their first two games in San Diego. Remember, they started 2-0. and 0. So this would be 14 losses in 17 games. The pitching is already cracking, and if the starting pitching is cracking, the bullpen won't be far behind. Right. Uh, the good news today is Daniel Bard came back and got news. some work in a low-leverage situation. Way behind, and he inning. had a clean eighth inning. Yeah, good yeah. for Daniel Bard. I root for Daniel Bard. Uh root quite hard for him. I don't know how many closing opportunities he will have, uh, chances for saves on this team, but it's good to uh, let him get his feet wet, uh, I suppose, in a game like this. But there have been a few games like this lately. The Rockies haven't been losing a succession of one-run games. No, uh, They've been getting plastered, as, as you just suggested, uh, most recently in this three-game set with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Losing... 17, 18 games in April put you on track to lose 100. Having 35 to 40 losses on Memorial Day, maybe 60, 65 losses on the 4th of July, that that puts you in play for 100 losses. And I've said for years, if anything could embarrass people who seem to be shameless and, and, and beyond the capacity of being embarrassed. 100 losses, triple digits, that has a way of even getting the most obtuse of observers to stay away from the ballpark. And I know you track these things mm-hmm. more than anybody else. Attendance yeah. in April is way, way down yeah. over what it has but been. It's not if just they been aren't the drawing in April, it has nothing to do with the weather. If they aren't drawing in April and May, what's it going to be like in August when the kids go back to school and the family outings to the ballpark on the weekends or otherwise stop? And remember, baseball's attendance as a whole is actually up. Intrigue about the the new rules. Of course, the, the game has been very, very entertaining in the last couple of years. Games are going almost a half hour faster. The Rockies down three to or twelve to two in this one. Austin Gomber gets the start. They take him back out of the. He's supposed to be a starter. Then he was back at the pen. Started today. Nine earned runs in two innings, three walks, and one strikeout. But I mean, I can't just blame it on him. Remember the opener of this series when the Pirates won fourteen to three. Kyle Freeland went two point two. 
two and two thirds innings and coughed up nine earned runs. He, or, he pardon me, nine blessed. runs, seven of which were earned. And I mean, he, he was terrible yeah. as well. And I, I don't. The difference is Freeland's I, ERA I, I, jumped listen, to three point eight. Gomber's I, right. is over twelve. Yeah. I, I don't want to get on our uh, colleagues who uh, telecast uh, the Rockies games, uh, but I did find it amusing, and I like Kyle Freeland a lot. And he's this one bad outing he's had mm-hmm. against three pretty good ones. Yes, right? yes. That's why ZRA still right. isn't over four, even right. after that bad start. But when they pointed out, as he was getting just lit up, it was slaughtered. Yeah, it was the other bad. Night. When they pointed out at one point he'd given up, I don't know, eight or nine hits, and they said, well, all but one have been singles. Cool. I, I'm <laughs> oh, saying it, it, these are line shots. Yeah. <laughs> They're hitting off him. Okay, there's been only one extra base hit so far. It, it, he's, he's just getting steamrolled. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have anything. And there are starts like that for even – uh, the best pitchers, sure. but I, I, I'm just saying, if if that that's what you resort uh, you resort to say was when singles. somebody is is just uh, getting bombed, then uh, well, you know, just about all of them have been singles. <laughs> well, in 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 baseball, usually two singles will set up a rally or give you at least a run. It it, it doesn't often take three yeah. singles. In the same inning, yeah. In the same inning. Then you two singles, get, a fly a ball, you got to run. Usually if you have three Hard ground ball hits, to the, to the and right they side. can all be singles, you will score, oh, score. in that inning. Right. <laughs> Where there is a high degree of probability associated with that. After uh, so, today's that, debacle comes to an I, end. I, I don't, there's no defending the indefensible. No. And the Rockies, with the exception of 2017 and 2018, if you go back, to 2010, they've been indefensible, with the exception of those two seasons, which, if you throw this one in, constitute 12 bad seasons and two good ones in the last 14 years. The Rockies will drop to 5-14 and 14 any minute now, of course, and they'll try to figure out what they're going to be doing. And they'll try to fix it, by the way, huh. on the road. In a four-game series that starts tomorrow in Philadelphia, which then is part of a seven-game road trip that also goes to Cleveland, if you were curious about how those two teams finished last year. Guardians is a pretty good team. In case you don't remember, uh, both of those teams ended up making playoff right. runs. Right. The Rockies. And, and Philly's off to a little bit of a slow start. Yeah. But Cleveland's playing well. Yeah. Cle- Cleveland uh, Cleveland over 500 right With now. Philly's off to a slow manager. start. Tito Francona. Tito Terry Francona. Yeah. Terry Tito, Francona. Terrific, Tito terrific was uh, Terry's father. Right. So, and I grew up watching Major League Baseball, and Tito Francona was a player uh, of, uh, I, I would say, some distinction. Uh, Terry played, uh, at least as far as I could tell, most memorably with Montreal. Uh, he, he bounced around a little bit. Uh, I liked him with the Red Sox as a manager. I thought he was not a good, he was a great manager. He was the manager who took over from Grady Little after the Game 7 was one meltdown in 2003 against uh, the Yankees. Right. And Boston was on its streak of not having won a World Series since 1918. In 04, they came back from 3-1 down to beat the Yankees in the ALCS, and they went on to sweep Rockies. St. Louis and win the World Series, swept the Rockies to win the World 07. Series in 07. Uh, and so uh, 
and they've won a, a handful of World Series since uh, without uh, Terry Francona. Hey, but give, give but Franco to this, he was though. a great manager for the Red Sox, and uh, they won two times uh, during a period uh, in which the Yankees won only once. In, in eight years with Boston, a 574 winning percentage. In 11 years with Cleveland, and we're talking about different financial uh, backing between the Red Sox and Cleveland. Uh, di- uh, different ownership value. Yeah, yeah. Although Red, the Red Sox, Sox now are trying right. to but cut when, payroll but when and Francona, emulate Tampa without all right, the winning. Right. But when Francona was there and ended in 2011, they were some of the biggest spenders in the oh, game. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, yes. Cleveland yes. is not one of the biggest spenders in the game and has not been since he's arrived. 574 winning percentage with Boston with some of the highest payrolls in the right. league. With Cleveland, 557. Yeah. With some with a, a well, one of these smaller the ones. Same for, manager and yeah. I, I to me and watching managers. And really, over the by years, the way, the best ones are the ones who connect. Good person. Yeah. Good human. No, being. no, the ones who are great are the ones who connect with their players in this day and age. And I understand in the past, uh, you know, not everybody loved Casey Stengel. Uh the great line about Stengel, of course, was Walter Spahn's line, having played for Casey right at the beginning of Casey Stengel's managerial career and then played again when Casey was manager of the Mets. He said, uh, I knew Casey before and after he was a genius. And, of course, he did all the winning that he did in his managerial career with the Yankees. But he did so in a manner that uh, did not uh, endear him to many of his players. I don't think a manager can be disliked. I know that there's the Billy Martin line about what was it? Uh, uh, 10 players who like you, uh, the, 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 and the 10 players who, who dislike you, you've got to have the five in the middle who keep the 10 who dislike you from becoming 15 who dislike you. Uh, and so I, I think nowadays, I mean, I I like Bud Black's temperament. And Bud Black's liked, but, but his team it, is atrocious. But the team is so bad, atrocious. it really doesn't make any difference. Unwatchable. And the pitching is so bad, even Bud Black can't fix it uh, to any real degree. Uh, Marquez is on the injured list, and, it, you know, Freeland got rocked his last time out. Yeah. So it, it it's... It's just a mess down at Coors Field. And if the pitching collapses in April, the bullpen goes in May, and it usually happens in June and July. Of course, this assumes so, that the bullpen is good to start with, uh, which it is not. So well, I'm just talking that. about the bullpen getting worn down. Oh, yeah. when no, the starters yeah. are getting yeah. right. uh, racked. No, in the middle of summer, you'll be... To the extent be... that they, they can't go more I get than it. three, four, yeah, I know. five innings, the bullpen's just right. going to die on the bottom. Right. You're going to be watching the Albuquerque isotopes in Coors Field. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to be happening. The Rockies, uh, if the score holds up, will have the second worst run differential in all of baseball. They have the third worst record in all of baseball. They have the longest losing streak in all of baseball. Who's worse? Who's worse? In run differential, after this game, Oakland is worse at a horrific Okay, I know. They won't won't Oakland is 3-15. and Kansas City is 4-15. Yeah, yeah. Including a shockingly bad 1-12 home start. Yeah, not that that is I've been to a lot of games at that nobody nobody feels bad for me on this I get it I get it I know what small crowds look like because I went to games uh, 15 years ago there before they got good and I know what small crowds look like those crowds would be gigantic 
by comparison with what they're likely to draw with the kind of team they're putting on the field this year. Growing up here in Colorado, of course, uh, before the Rockies, and then baseball's you know long been. Kansas City's won uh, one World Series, and they they were they in almost, two in a row in fourteen and fifteen. Uh, Rockies sure haven't had that kind of success. No, was it that was ever? A, tell you what, ever except for the one. Our number, series, our number here is three zero three eight three one thirteen forty. Growing up here with no Rockies, because before you know older than the Rockies are. And uh, so I, I ended up listening because I could occasionally catch it on on radio. I could I listen to the Royals. So I grew up out in out just Denny uh, Matthews, just south of Franktown. The great you Denny happen Ma- to know where that is. Yeah. Some people maybe do now, but uh, you could you could actually hear the games on the radio. So I yeah. would listen to the games on radio. So basically, growing up, I was kind of a Royals fan. And then they got the Rockies, right. and of course, I'm home team. I'll adopt the Rockies. Well, they're a combined nine and twenty eight, soon to be nine and twenty nine. So anyone has a better team to recommend that I can jump on that isn't one of the Stereotypical bandwagons. Let me know. Well, uh, you know, because this because, is going to be a long because my father summer for me. was such an intense Red Sox fan. I, 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 I do have a soft spot in my heart uh, for the Red Sox, and I think they have a great manager in Alex Cora. But that team has not been well built, and, and the the GM is a former Tampa Bay executive uh, who has. Uh, seemingly not been able to convince the very rich ownership group in Boston to spend money. And that the funny thing is that was a great ownership group for a long, long time. And now they're more concerned with uh, ownership and other sports and other I know parts what I'm of the world. Do. I know what I'm going to do. The Milwaukee Brewers are off to a nice Milwaukee Brewers are a nice team. They're, 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 a, they're a smaller they're nice. market. Yeah. And I do a, I personally, if yeah. you follow me on Twitter, S-D-R-O-T-A-R, I, I do a podcast about beer. So, yeah. Bam. I'll root for the Brewers. I'll just root for the Brewers. That's what I'll do. Brewer okay. Crew. That's who I'm in for this year. Give me one of those. Yeah. Give me one of those hats with the cool logo, the M and the B that's a baseball glove, one of the better logos in sports. There you go. That's who I'm in for. Thanks, Rockies. You've made me a Brewers fan. That was fun. Yeesh. Well, the Denver Nuggets have a golden opportunity to get a lot better and their playoff run, while a lot of other teams are fighting things out with more difficult opponents, the Nuggets could go up 2-0 tonight. We'll talk about it and let you know where you should come see it next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Nuggets, of course, have an opportunity to, uh, if they just, as Sandy put earlier today, and exactly right, take care of their business, go up 2-0 on the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll let you know if you... Uh, down south a little bit where to watch it or you know you can get a car or an uber or light rail or whatever uh, modern transportation gets you anywhere we are going to be over at the sportsbook bar and grill in highlands ranch for the denver stiffs night out at our nuggets watch party for game two we'll have prizes to give away i was uh, trying to collect some of those myself we'll have shirts we'll have some nuggets hat we'll have some gear uh we have maybe some gift cards to give away we're gonna uh, play a couple games for it it's gonna be a ton of fun so we have prizes and other fun things to do and of course if you've never been to the sportsbook bar and grill in highlands ranch it is uh it, it's pretty amazing actually i mean one entire wall is a big television that can be split up 
in a lot of different ways. So, of course, the Nuggets will be front and center, but there will be good NBA games, of course, on. There are good NHL games tonight. There are good baseball games tonight. This, you'll get to see just about everything. Sportsbook Bar and Grill and Hounds Ranch should be the place to go. We'll be there at about 7.30. Tip-off schedule for roughly 8, or more accurately, after the Lakers and Grizzlies. And another game Whenever that, that might, might want to pay attention to that anyway. Sandy and I will be there, as well as uh, some other folks from Miley Sports. Yeah, that's so, a 5.30 start, yeah. and playoff games tend to run sometimes long, over two and a half more hours. More commercials. Right. It's, yeah, it's the way it goes. So, uh, tip-off at roughly 8 o'clock. We'll be there a little earlier. You know, pop by, uh, say hello, and then uh, enjoy the party. It's going to be an awful lot of fun. So go check it out. That's at the Sportsbook Bar and Grill in Highlands Ranch. And and Sandy, uh, we've talked about this game, and I'll I'll, I'll go through it quickly. The Timberwolves, by default, because they have Carl Anthony Townsend and Rudy Gobert, can only play at one pace, and that pace is slow. Gobert is as bad a ball handler or passer as there is in the league. Carl Anthony Towns immediately after the game suggested that the, the issue with the game was not that he shot seven threes and made one of them. It's just that he didn't make enough of them, not that he shouldn't be out there shooting threes. Anthony Edwards, the day after, the best, ta- most talented player on their team, certainly the former top overall pick. Edwards said this to Minnesota reporters. We've got to be more physical. We've got to play more physical. They were bumping us all over the floor. They really punked us in game one, I would say. We've got to come out, get some hard fouls or something. You know, get the game going. Okay, one, note to NBA referees who might be officiating this game. Thanks for tipping them off to that, Anthony Edwards. Smart move. I get it as a young guy, but, I mean, interesting choice. Two, you lost by 29. You think a couple hard fouls are going to make up Isn't 29 that points? Isn't always the refrain? If we lose, we have to play rougher next time. It, it, it's so often the refrain of teams like the Minnesota Timberwolves. They were out-rebounded 54-38. Uh, uh, they lost by 29 Don't points. understand why they lose and think that when they win, they've conquered the world and everything is bright and rosy. Hard fouls to get the and, game and, going. Uh, you know, let's, <clears throat> let's foul them harder. Uh, all right, send them to the line 30 times, and if they make more than 20, you're, you're going to get killed. Uh, you know, this isn't a team that knows anything. I mean, anything about winning. They don't listen to their coach. You know the coach isn't telling them they that. They don't even seem to They're like get, each other. They, they, they don't get along. And, you know, so they go their own ways. And that's apparent, but there's no connectivity in the way they play. No cohesion in the way they play on either end of the floor. Edwards, by the way, led them in personal fouls with four last game. Right. And that's so he'll be in foul trouble again. And it's like the losing hockey team in the playoffs saying, uh, we're going to be rougher the next game and spend a lot more time in the penalty box. And that'll cure our ills. When we lost by six the previous game. Uh, You know, Edwards is, is there. Edwards, quite frankly, it is not Carl Anthony Towns who will get his and get some numbers. I get all that. Edwards is actually the only guy on that team that can explode in a game for enough for the Timberwolves to win. And his plan is to foul more. Okay. Please do. Uh, I I don't understand. And the the only class act on that team, 
seems to be a guy with any sense at all is Mike Conley. I was going to say, but you're clearly talking about Mike Conley. Mike Conley. Yeah. That's it. And the, the, there's no veteran presence coming off the bench. Uh, I, I do think they lost. Austin they, they, listen, they lost through poor fortune, Naz Reed, a few weeks ago for the yes. year with a broken wrist. He wasn't punching walls or trying to punch like teammates. Jamie Daniels, right? He or, just fractured his left wrist. It's one of those things that happens. He is a better basketball player than either Carl Anthony Towns or Rudy Gobert. At least he has been this year. He has sort of reinvented himself. He thought in January he might be getting traded. Um, he was more accurately and, hoping to get uh, well, traded. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, instead of moping, right. he reinvented he himself. He, he reinvented himself. He got himself into shape. He broadened his game. He accepted coaching, and that means accepting criticism which Rudy Gobert has never accepted, which Carl Anthony Towns has never accepted, and which, as far as I can tell, Anthony Edwards has accepted only very, very reluctantly. Mike Conley has accepted coaching. Uh, None of the people coming off their bench can make up for the absence of Reed and McDaniels, who did break his hand punching a wall. Of course, playing on that team, I can sort of understand his frustration. At and times. Gobert's got the excuse that, well, my back is acting up. Anytime he appears even more immobile than he usually appears to be, he can go to the back injury and say, uh, I, I have some discomfort there and I can't go full out even in the few minutes I'm on the floor and able to play. So, I, I, I mean, it, you remember when he got suspended, you know what his reaction was? Well, I couldn't have played in the game anyway. anyway. My back is killing me. Right. You, your point about Reed is actually well taken because post-All-Star break, Nas Reed had six, was averaging 16.1 and 5.5 boards a game. That was only in 20, I'm rounding up, 21 minutes a game. Yeah. Carl Anthony Towns in 31 minutes a game was tw- averaging 20.8 and 8. If you go the, the per minute, Nas Reed would have been putting up... By the way, up, Nas Reed is a much better three-point shooter than Carl He would have been putting up almost identical numbers with a higher shooting percentage than Towns if they had roughly had the same minute. They do they do lose Jaden McDaniels. He was averaging 14 a game, but more importantly, playing really good defense. Uh, one of One of the... Young guys in this league, and there are a few. Give them, give them credit. Uh, Jaden McDaniels is one. Christian Brown is another. Who actually are young players who pride themselves on yep, ma- on right. on ball defense. And and McDaniels is tough. But Losing Christian Brown isn't punching walls. No, when he doesn't and get he's not, the minutes he thinks, and he's he not be. punching back when Kyle Anderson's elbowing him in the face. Exactly, which was the best sign of all uh, the other night that when Minnesota. Uh, by its own admission, getting, what was the term, punked by Denver, tried to punk back, not fight back in, in, a, in a competitive sense, but, you know, punch back. And, and my favorite and, sign and, about and that. And yep. that, that Brown did not react the Nuggets shows that he had a sense of the game, and the Nuggets laughed at him, and Christian ridiculous. Brown laughed at him. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, so embarrassed, not that uh, these guys aren't 
most of the time pretty much beyond embarrassment, but he was embarrassed. Anderson was to the extent that he, uh, you could read his lips saying, my fault when the uh, fracas was broken right. up and he embraced Brown. Which, okay, that's fine. On the head, I, I, and that's and great. then, great, that's, you know, that's fine a fine sportsmanship. Thank you for sportsmanship. That. You but, messed but, up, you apologize. But, fine. but you know, okay. listen, uh, maybe there was a reason that Rudy Gobert did go after Anderson, <laughs> that he can be uh, kind of an irritating guy, and Brown put good defense on him, and he didn't like it. And so he he threw an elbow. And I, I guarantee you, if a fracas did break out, Christian Brown would would level Anderson without difficulty. He's a much tougher player. He's stronger. But I love that Brown is smart but, enough to but, understand, wait a minute, but, we, we have yeah, bigger objectives here. I need well, to make sure I stay You know what Christian Brown has that no other nugget has to his name? A championship. A championship. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely right, and that that requires some of the kind of performances. So this is all you know. What KCP you're right. does. You're too. right. Who uh, by the way right. with the Lakers? Who by the way in, was in brilliant in Game One, as good as it, any it, of as the as good nuggets. as he can be, as good as he can be. I agree with you. He hit the early threes. Uh, he he was excellent. I loved his game the other night. Yeah, thanks, Bruce Danny. Brown we sort of is faced uh, KCP there. Yeah, I'm good sure. job, Danny. That's why we have the great uh, Danny yeah. Bailey. Bring us up short when we're uh, wrong about this, but. Uh, uh, that yes, that KCP was uh, not a player of great consequence, but of some value to the Lakers when they won their championship mm-hmm. in twenty twenty yeah. in the bubble. And there's there's value in in, in having that beat the Nuggets, yeah, in a best of seven. Series. They did. I I just have a I have a that feeling. we like to call the Western Conference Finals. I it, the, my sense from reaching out to a few folks and and reading a lot of what I read it in Minnesota is that even the folks who covered the Timberwolves don't think that this team's going to do anything, but get rolled again. And it will be fascinating. So we will find a little well, bit they, chance. They know what they've been watching. Yeah. Uh, not only this year, but in recent years. And th- the point I made the other day about how five years ago, when they had a young Carl Anthony towns, who actually wasn't 20 or 25 pounds overweight, uh, and they had Jimmy Butler. And they had Jeff Teague on that team. They had a nice team. And they beat the Nuggets on the last game of the regular season in a, a win-or-go-home game. The winner made the playoffs. The loser went home. And they beat the Nuggets 112-106 in an overtime game. And I'm thinking, boy, five years from now, this did, heck, a year or two from now, this team's going to be tough. And for various reasons, that team got broken up. And now they have a fat Carl Anthony Towns, uh, a bad player in Rudy Gobert, and an equally bad, if not worse, teammate. And they've got hammerheads like Anthony Edwards who think that uh, the answer when you get blown out by 29 is to beat the other team up. Yeah, we'll see how game. that goes. Uh, we'll be back to break it all down tomorrow, but come out and join us at Sportsbook Bar and Grill for the watch party tonight. We're going to hand things off to our friends, Cody Rourke and Neil Pierre on Afternoon Drive. Thanks to Ryan Bolding from NHL.com. And right here, the host of the Hockey Show, joining us. Thanks to Danny Bailey and Andrew Demmer in the booth, of course, not only for the way we look and sound, but uh, also keep us straight on facts. Thanks, Danny. We'll be back tomorrow to break it all down. For Sandy Glove, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports. Oh, amber is the color.